Well, welcome to the Decision Point Podcast. We've got a special show today, and it's a heartfelt show to honor and commemorate uh, the life and legacy of Decision Point's founder, Warren Willis, who went home to be with the Lord just over a month ago. Uh, He was 85 years old when he died, and he'd been serving the Lord faithfully for 60 years in full-time ministry. Now, the impact of his life and legacy will reverberate for just years to come. And so what I'd like to do on our show today is share with you about Warren's life and some lessons that we can draw from it as we run the race that's set before us. Now, I first met Warren in 2003 when I was a student at Biola University in Los Angeles. And here's Warren fresh off the mission field, having most recently spent about 10 years reaching all of Mongolia with the gospel. And here he was at the age most people start their retirement, but he had a wild vision of reaching all all the high schools of California and asking us as college students to help him figure it out and get it done. Now, what you need to know about Warren is that he was one of the wildest missionaries I've ever known. Uh, He spent over 40 years on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew, before he founded the mission of Decision Point. And all the leading figures in crew's ministry I had the privilege of meeting held Warren in high regard, though none perhaps higher than Josh McDowell. Now, if you don't know Josh McDowell, he's the author of over 100 books, most famously More Than a Carpenter, which has seen like 27 million copies distributed around the world. Uh, Josh has given like 32,000 talks around the world. It just made a tremendous impact for the Lord. And Josh said of Warren, he said, there are few people who have profoundly affected my life. And Warren is one of them. His motivation and encouragement always rubbed off on me. Then he said, if I were to trade lives with anyone, it would be to follow the path that Warren Willis has lived. Now, Warren lived his life on a mission, and it all started for him as a student at Lusinger High School in the Los Angeles area, where Warren was both student body president and president of the Christian club on campus. And Warren built his life around Acts 1-8, which says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Warren's legacy, like this verse, actually extends around the globe. So, okay, backing up here, after graduating college and seminary and serving as a school teacher, what you need to know is that Warren was actually convicted of his fear of evangelism. Now, when I say Warren was afraid of witnessing, I'm, I mean it. Warren was not shy about sharing a time when he was in seminary and his friends dragged him kicking and screaming to join them as they went out to share the gospel. Well, Warren decided that wasn't good, so he joined staff with crew in order to learn to be the effective witness Christ was calling him to be. Now, joining staff with crew was a good start, but Warren is glad to share that that also didn't solve his problem. Uh, He was assigned to a college campus in Long Beach, California for a year of training, and Warren famously shared that he nearly flunked out of his training with his trainer recommending crew fire him for his failure as an evangelist. Uh, One day, his trainer had had a enough and took him out uh, to campus and said, you know, you see that man over there? He said, you go start walking into him and either share the gospel with him or just keep right on walking because I never want to see you again. 
I mean, ouch, right? Well, Warren got it together and he shared the gospel with that man and managed to keep his job. Now, from there, Warren was transferred to UC Berkeley in 1966. Now, look, this is right in the middle of the hippie movement, the civil rights movement, tremendous social upheaval. Uh, communist agitators were on campus, organized by the faculty, by the way, but led by the students. And they were a powerful, powerful force on the campus. Uh, riots on campus were a common problem, so much so that Governor Ronald Reagan called in the National Guard and personally went to the campus uh, to give the faculty a good talking to. You can look the video up. It's fascinating. So Warren was consequently the only person I knew who had stories of wit witnessing at a college campus while the Marines were flying over to tear gas the whole place. Okay, but it wasn't easy for him. Warren had to witness to 200 people before he ever saw someone come to put their faith in Jesus. Now, after that, Warren became unstoppable and witnessed to people all over the world. And I'm convinced that Warren will meet more people than he could possibly have imagined in heaven who are there because he shared the gospel with him along the way. There's a lesson for us there, isn't there? Uh, witnessing may not come easy to us either. Uh, we may face a lot of rejection, but Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses, so, so we'd better obey, right? Now, what I'd like to do is play for you a clip of Warren sharing about his time at Berkeley and how it changed his life. He was energized by participating in what they called the Berkeley Blitz when Bill Bright, president and founder of Crew, brought 500 staff to campus along with Billy Graham uh, to witness to every student on campus. Let's take a listen. At the Berkeley Blitz, you could tell when the counter forces were coming in because Bill Bright uh, bust in Billy Graham and all of his friends came with him and the thing was just absolutely full and the whole campus, uh, it was crystal clear and uh, the whole campus just stopped and everybody listened to Billy Graham talk about Jesus Christ. Uh, people are very interested in Christ. They want to hear. One day I got up and I it, was, it got to be real easy for me to witness at UC Berkeley. Went to campus, started witnessing at 6.30 in the morning. There were people there. I witnessed all day till noon, and I got in the food lines, and I was witnessing in the food lines, and then all afternoon, and then dinner, and then you go into the dorms, and I witnessed until 1.30 in the morning. I was so tired of witnessing that uh, I just, I had to go home. So it's 1.30 in the morning, I'm walking down the middle of the street and uh, there's a guy sitting on the curb, 1.30 in the morning with his head in his hands. And uh, all of a sudden his voice says, what are you doing out so late? And I said, uh, I'm talking to people about God. What are you doing out so late? He says, I'm waiting for somebody to talk to me about God. <laughs> so then I get home and there are sleeping bags all over the floor. Five guys. And I wake Diane up and I says, who's downstairs on the floor? She says, I don't know. They just drove it from somewhere to see you. and wanted to talk about Christ and I so I said to the Lord I said you know Lord I said you know you could actually witness for 24 hours a day 
at UC Berkeley. And before the Berkeley Blitz, that was completely incompatible, total uh, impossibility for me. Because I went from being a um, religious wimp to now my life uh, had been radically changed. And that blitz actually made such an impression on my life that uh, I have been like that ever since. <laughs> wow. Okay, but don't you just love that? Okay, now as I began working with Warren Rich in high schools in Los Angeles, then in Chicago, then around the nation, we've seen that same effect happen over and over on campuses in America, and high school campuses in America. I mean, when students are leading outreach weeks and they make Jesus the topic of conversation for the whole school that week, I mean, the campus changes. Uh, we were working together at a high school in East LA where the Dean of Students told Warren and I that there were 25 gangs on campus. I mean, the day we met him, he'd had three fights and about as many drug busts on campus that day. But after an outreach week, he told Warren and I the whole campus just went completely calm and quiet because of the Holy Spirit's presence at his school. But I also love that clip from Warren because it illustrates, I think, for us another key takeaway from Warren's life, and that is the importance of personal evangelism and lots of personal evangelism. I mean, how many people will be in heaven just from that one day in Warren's life? But of course, it didn't stop there. Warren shared the gospel everywhere he went. Uh, he always carried a gospel track in his shirt pocket, and he gave them out religiously. I mean, he was packing heat. Uh, I mean, I can remember being uh, with him out at a restaurant one time when I was still in college. We got in the car to leave, and after we got a, maybe a block or two down the road, I could tell something was really bothering him. And finally, he just confessed, and he was embarrassed about it, but he confessed that he had failed to witness to the waitress. Uh, and so he promptly did a U-turn, went back in, shared Christ with her, and left her a tract that she could read on her own time. And Warren loved to quote 2 Corinthians 9, 6, which says this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, in the context, this is talking about giving, like giving money to the church, right? And Warren knew that, but he took that principle and applied it to witnessing. So if you want to reap sparingly in God's harvest fields of the souls of men, it's easy. Just sow sparingly. But if you want to reap a great harvest, then you are going to need to do some serious sowing. And that's what Warren did as his ministry progressed. In 1975, he actually took his wife, Diana, and their two sons to be missionaries in the islands of Micronesia uh, with their home base in Guam. And as Warren tells it, he gets down there and he realized, okay, that getting the gospel to the 2,000 islands across Micronesia, which was his goal, uh, would take him either a couple hundred years or he was going to need a couple hundred people. Well, Warren is a smart guy. He decided to trust God for that couple hundred people option. Uh, so he came up to the U.S. and he challenged college students to take a year off of college and come reach the world for Christ or stop out for Christ, as he put it, was the name of their program. And hundreds of students answered the call and they completed their mission of bringing the gospel to the 2,000 islands uh, in their part of the South Pacific. Now, as if that wasn't enough, Warren decided to take these college students for the Philippines 
for several summers in a row for a couple reasons. Uh, one, he was concerned that these college students were getting the wrong idea about missions. I mean, sure, they were working hard, but all their hard work uh, was on what he was calling rather lovely tropical islands, right? Uh, and two, crew had just finished translating the Jesus film, which is, you know, an evangelistic movie based on the Gospel of Luke, and they just finished translating it into Tagalog. And so Warren wanted to show that film to as many people across the Philippines as he could. So he had his students write home, recruit their friends to join them, and meet them in Manila. And that's just what they did. Warren, so Warren shows up to the Philippines with 250 people. They spend their whole summer showing the Jesus film to hundreds of thousands of people that summer. And then again for the next few summers, reaching well over a million people through it all. And so I think there's another life lesson there for all of us, too. Warren's life was always about striving for what's ahead, about pushing hard to seize the next hill. Uh, he was not afraid of risks. In fact, he loved them. And he loved to trust God for what he called impossible tasks awaiting their time. So how about you? What bold steps of faith are you taking? And what might God be calling you to do to reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, now from the South Pacific, Warren found himself headed, surprisingly, for Canada, where he arrived in 1983. He'd been recruited by Marvin Kaler, president of Cruise Ministry for Canada, known in Canada as Power to Change. And Marvin had actually called Cruise headquarters asking for the wildest man they had to help him shake up the ministry that he felt was in danger of stagnating. Well, Cruise said, that's easy. You should call Warren Willis. Well, by this time, uh, Warren was a firm believer in the power of taking people out on short-term mission trips. I mean, like real short-term mission trips, of course, where they really share the gospel, and especially where they do it in some tough places. He thought this built character, uh, gave people a true missions mindset, and greatly energized them to witness to more people when you brought them back home. So Warren makes this deal with Marvin that he would come to Canada if Marvin could get him the Amazon. Wait, the Amazon, you might be saying, yeah, the Amazon, like the one in South America. Well, Warren's vision was to take all these Canadian staff down to the Amazon for the summer to show the Jesus film to people all along the Amazon basin. As the story goes, when Marvin asked him how much of the Amazon Warren wanted, <laughs> Warren replied in his classic Warren way, well, all of it. So a deal was formed and Warren headed up for Canada and they did it. Over the next eight years, they spent their summers telling people about Jesus along what Warren assured me was every inch of the Amazon River. I mean, that's called getting it done, isn't it? And you know, this reminds me of something else I'll forever admire about Warren. Uh, he was a man who was not afraid to ask big things of a big God. You know, Warren didn't wait for God to show up in a dream or send him an angel commanding him to go to the Amazon. He asked for it. Uh, he was what I like to call a give me man. You know, John Knox, the Scottish reformer, famously prayed, God, give me Scotland or I die. And Caleb in the Old Testament, a man Warren, I believe, greatly resembled in his character, said, give me the hill country where there are giants in the land. And time and again throughout his life, Warren prayed big prayers for God to give him the privilege or the tremendous opportunity, as he liked to call it, to bring the gospel to an entire nation or region of the world. And God honored those prayers, as he always does for people who pray big prayers for his name. Okay, now we're getting close to the time when Warren found a decision point, but we have one more stop first. 
1991, Warren accepted the challenge to go to Outer Mongolia. Warren said it took him about 15 minutes to decide to go when challenged to go. I mean, can you make a big life decision that fast? Warren did. The way he put it, God was giving him a promotion. You know, you see, we said at the beginning of the show, Warren built his life on Acts 1-8. And the way he saw it, God had already, he'd already been God's witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria. And now God was giving him the chance to be his witness to the ends of the earth. Now, you got to know, at the time Warren arrived in Mongolia, there were only about four or five Christians in the entire nation, uh, following 40 years of communist rule there. Uh, Mongolia was a dark place, crying out for someone to share the gospel there. Uh, And Warren's ministry there was just immense. He launched over a dozen ministries. He brought Young Life to Mongolia to reach the high schoolers of Mongolia. He brought gold medalist wrestler John Peterson to Mongolia to start a ministry to all the wrestlers of Mongolia, of whom there were many because it was their favorite sport. Uh, He had a ministry to the parliament. He had a ministry to the entire Mongolian military. But perhaps most importantly, he had a ministry to show the Jesus film uh, to every village throughout the entire country. In fact, let me play for you another clip of Warren sharing about that ministry and, uh, and actually sharing about one of my favorite stories he ever shared about an elderly man that they got to bring the gospel to along the way. The Jesus film, as it turned out, was the first Western film ever to be translated into the Mongolian language. They had a lot of propaganda stuff from Russia and other things, etc., etc. But nothing from the West, and this was the first one. And that premiere got so much momentum that we had scheduled the largest movie theater, but we had all government people had already filled that Thing. So we had to schedule two more premieres that same day, and we had the most glorious uh, premiere, and uh, it was just probably one of the most exciting times of my life. All the government leaders, the entire parliament, including the vice president of Mongolia, were actually at that premiere. And the Jesus film, because of all the government officials that saw the film, none of the smaller officials could uh, refuse one of our teams from showing the film in their town. We went clear around Mongolia. It took six and a half years. There are no roads in Mongolia, just tire tracks in the tundra going in every direction. And if you wake up and you're going 60, 70 miles an hour, and there are about 12 to 15 tire tracks all going in the same direction, you know you're on the Mongolian interstate going east and west. And there are 356 cities and villages in Mongolia at that time with 2.4 million population. And we have screened the Jesus film over 4,000 times in those 356 cities and villages. And then on top of that, we had a quarter of a million uh, Gospels of Luke printed in the Mongolian language. And uh, as we went around with the film teams, I remember 
when my translator and I went down, probably the farthest place you can go to, we uh, showed the Jesus film to two gears. A gear is an animal skin-like tent that the Mongolians uh, uh, live in. And it turned out there were two old men that looked like they were each 120 years old. I mean, they were shriveled up, they had leather skin, and when we got done, if we got done with the Jesus film, they were standing out there saying goodbye, holding their Gospels of Luke, and just, thank you, thank you, in Mongolian, thank you for coming, thank you so much. And as far as I know, they died the next day and went to heaven, but you know, Everybody who came to Mongolia had opportunities like that. Wow. Don't you just love that? I mean, you can just see it. Warren loved the people of Mongolia dearly, and they loved him too. Now, again, there were about five believers in the whole country when he started, but today I'm told there are over 150 Mongolians serving on staff with the Ministry of Mongolia Campus Crusade for Christ today. Okay, well, finally in the year 2000, Warren came back to the United States where God gave him the vision for the mission of Decision Point. Now, Warren did not realize at the time he was starting a new ministry. Uh, the way he tells it, he thought he'd reach the 1,000 high schools in California and die and go to heaven. Okay, he was 65 years old when he started this, after all. Uh, so he originally just called the ministry simply the California School Project. But while launching this new ministry, Warren was also faithfully caring for his wife, Diane, as she battled cancer, to which she finally succumbed in 2006. So Warren's grappling with how this mission is going to play out, how it's going to unfold, and he comes across a book called Reclaim Your School uh, by Brad Dacus, the president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, and in, in this book, Warren learned that students could legally share the gospel at their schools. They could give away Bibles by the hundreds. They could host large gospel rallies and even invite guest speakers to share the gospel at their school. Well, this, this clarified things for Warren, and he was off and running with now a plan to train students to be the, the missionaries to their own campus. Now, this, you got to know this is a different approach from most student ministry organizations at the time that had adults leading the movement or specialized in a more of a fun, relational, fellowship-based approach, which is also great, just a little different. Warren really believed in young people, and he was convinced that if challenged with a big vision, provided just enough training and someone to coach them along the way, that young people would become an unstoppable force for the gospel, and they would lead dynamic youth evangelism themselves on campus during the school day. And of course, that's what we're now seeing around the country, and I believe we'll soon see ripple out around the world. Now, Decision Point simply would not be here if it weren't for Warren's courage, his faith, and determination. And it has been a high privilege to work with Warren for more than 20 years, and I have learned a great deal from him. And it is an honor to now carry on the work together with our staff and student leaders and supporters across the country that Warren began. Warren's legacy of wholehearted love for Christ, his legacy of sacrificial service for the Lord and steadfast commitment to advancing the gospel, it'll be with our mission 
always, as will his dogged determination to trust God to bring the gospel to more people than we could ever do on our own. And to all of our Decision Point student leaders today and tomorrow, uh, what a privilege you have to take part in this mission that was founded by so great a man. And you need to know this, Warren believed in you. He believed God wanted to use you in ways you could never imagine. In fact, what I'd like to do as we begin to close this special commemorative episode is to play you a clip uh, from Warren's final interview. Uh, this was recorded at our student leader conference in 2023, where many of you were gathered with us. Let, uh, let's listen as he shares his heart with you now. In the first chapter of Jeremiah, God said, uh, I have chosen you and I have uh, made the opportunity for you to speak. And I want you to tell the people this. And Jeremiah objected and he says, I'm only a kid. The word in the Bible is youth. I'm only a youth. But anyway, everybody thinks he was probably a teenager. And uh, the Lord says, do not say I'm only youth, uh, because to whom I send you, you shall go. And it doesn't really make any difference that you're only a teenager or you're young or you're in middle school. This is a fantastic opportunity. And you can actually arrange to share the gospel at your whole school. And we have all the legal people behind us through the Pacific Justice Institute to actually get it on if we need to. And so this is a tremendous opportunity for youth. And if you've got the gumption to stand up for Christ, well, then I say, stand up for Christ. And uh, we will coach you in how to do this. We'll stand with you while you do this. And we will praise you after it's done. Okay, so here you have it. Do not say I'm only a youth. To whom God sends you, you shall go. And we are looking for young men and women who have the gumption to stand up for Christ. So the question is, what will you do? And, and so that brings me to the final lesson from Warren's life for us today. Let's trust God wholeheartedly. Let's fight hard in the power of his might. I mentioned a moment ago that in so many ways, Warren reminds me of Caleb from the Old Testament. You know the story. Caleb is one of only two spies who trusted God to give them the land. The other 10 spies were afraid because of the fortified cities and the giants of the land. So God cursed them with 40 years of desert wandering. But after all of that time, Caleb was still faithful and he was still ready to charge the hill. And we can read about this in Joshua 14, where Caleb says, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now. Give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim, that is the giants, were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord uh, will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. You see, where other people saw problems, Caleb saw opportunity. Where others saw giants, Caleb saw a God who was bigger still. 
And God blessed Caleb, and he gave him what he asked for. In Joshua 14, 13 to 14, we read this. Then Joshua blessed him. He gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, uh, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And I just love that. Long after Caleb had come and gone, people grew up in their portion of the promised land because Caleb had faith in God to do what he could not do on his own. And he had the gumption to get after it. And so by God's grace, it will be with the mission of Decision Point. I mean, students not yet even in kindergarten are going to become children of the promise, members of the family of God, because Warren wholly followed the Lord. Okay, so how about you? Look, Warren was a warrior, and the warrior is now home. But we need new warriors to arise. We need young men to arise who are full of courage and conviction, grit and gumption, who are ready to lay it all on the line for the Lord. We need young women to rise up, ready to give their all to bring the gospel to those around them. We need a generation to rise who are ready to stand for Christ, live for Christ, witness for Christ, and endure hardship for his name with the firm conviction that Jesus is worth it. And there is no telling the impact that such a young person will have today and throughout the rest of their lives. There is no way Warren, when he was in high school, could have ever known the impact that the Lord would use him for around the world. But I'll close with this. The eyes of the Lord, Scripture tells us, are going throughout the whole earth, seeking young men and women whose heart is fully set on him. So my question, my invitation for you is this. Will you answer the call? I hope you will. Thank you.